want to do for the, I, Lord willing, the next couple of messages is we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And um, what this is coming out of is that last weekend, Thursday through Saturday, we had our Salt Lake Central leaders, elders and pastors retreat. And the focus of that weekend was um, to continue working on Ephesians 4 ministry stuff. And so we're going to all hopefully be on the same page what that means by the time the morning is done. Um, and I've heard about this stuff before. I, I've read about it. I've received teaching about it. But I've never really been gripped that it was time to uh, bring it to the church. But this weekend, I was really gripped that it is time. And I'm really excited about what's going on at Calvary as many of you know, we've got a church building move that we're working on, which, from my perspective, has been God's gift of trouble to us, which has caused us to need to grow. And that's the real gift. And so we have been growing. We're growing in prayer, which is wonderful. For those of you who are trying to spearhead that, you'll never feel like you're getting anywhere but we are growing, so be encouraged. We're growing in the Word together, uh, which is wonderful. And for those of you who are working on that, you'll never fear, feel like you're getting anywhere. But we are growing, so be encouraged. And to complement these things as well, I think that God would be pleased if we look at how Jesus wants to grow His church. One of the ways that He describes in Scripture so that we can grow in finding our place and contributing to Calvary Chapel as a local church and to the body of Christ in general. So we're going to be reading through Ephesians chapter 4, and the message is called Growing into the Fullness of Christ. So why don't we just start at the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I'll read through till I feel done. These are the very words of God. I, therefore... A prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Open bracket. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Close bracket. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint to which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why don't we take 30 seconds and just all cry out to the Lord together, whatever volume is right for you, that God would just send the Spirit on us, that we would understand what Jesus wants to do. Amen. Okay, so all together, one, two, three, let's go for it. Father, would you move in power? Lord, I can't do this. But God, would you send the Spirit on us that we would understand your word here? That you would do something amongst us that would really change our hearts and minds. That you would be blessed. And you would be known. You'd be pleased for the work we do. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. So, okay, I can't, I can't just jump into the middle of a book. It's just impossible. I can't do it. It's like trying to start Star Wars with Return of the Jedi. It's like, ah, you won't get it. And you've missed that Hoth scene with the at-ats. It, ugh, just, no. So how did we get to chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul is, is urging us to live a life worthy of the gospel? And by doing that, by saying what this means is living a life in unity with the body and receiving the gifts of these apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors as they work to help all of us to mature together so that we can be a fully functioning body, not battered by the world and its ideas around us, but instead being fully connected to Christ and each other and doing the job God's given us to do so that we can be a mature and healthy body in the world. How did we get there? Well, mostly Paul's just been preaching the gospel of Jesus that we start off as lost sinners. And the only father we really have spiritually is the devil. And his job is to lie to us and trick us and deceive us and brutalize us and, and to keep us hating each other and being hated by one another so that we spend our entire lives just fighting together until we die and go before the judgment seat of God. That's where we start. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can be totally reconciled to God without anything left on his list of complaints against us. And not just forgiven, but actually made new. Given a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and a new family, starting with the family of God and expressing itself in the family of the church. One of the things I want to highlight from this gospel is that at the end of chapter 1, God, talking about Jesus, says this. Jesus resurrected from the dead, it says, and he, meaning God, put all things under his, meaning Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What in the world is going on there? 
as I've been working on this message, I'm just hit so many times by the word full and fill and fill and full, full, fill, 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 full, fill, fill, fill. Paul's just bringing it up all the time. Fill, full, 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 fill, 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 full, 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 full. It's a big deal. And we get it because nobody likes to have an empty stomach, right? So if you ate too small of a breakfast, your body's letting you know right now, and it's hard to concentrate. Nobody likes an empty gas tank. You wake up and that little light goes on. We're all going to die. Even though there's six gas stations within a mile. But that sense of being empty. Ah, my soul is empty. Ah, my mind is empty. Quick, pick up the phone. Quick, somebody, fill, fill my eyes with something. We don't like being empty. We want to be full. And one of the things that God wants us to understand is that Jesus has been given to us to be our fullness. And not just our fullness, but actually the fullness of the entire world. It says God put all things under Jesus' feet and then gave Jesus to us as the head of a body so that he would fill all things. And as I understand that, what it means is that Jesus raised from the dead with all power and all authority, God gifted to the church to be our boss, the head, the ruler, the authority, the leader, the king, the God. But not just like up in some holy temple on a mountain, sending his soldiers to beat people up when they don't do what he wants. The head of a body, of a people who are totally connected to him, with the mission to fill up everything. Huh? That's the mission. God gave his son full of all authority and power as the head, the leader, the source of power and grace and leadership and and strength to the church to be completely connected to him as your head is connected to your body. I'm assuming your head is connected to your body this morning. Anybody who that's not the case? Has somebody figured out how to do that whole head floating in a jar android body thing that's so cool in movies? No. Okay, so your head is... What happens when your head isn't connected to your body? French Revolution style, anybody? Anybody? Yeah, you're, you're a goner. You get like three blinks. And then it's all over. So this, this, this resurrected man so connected to the church that we are his body for the mission to fill up everything because Jesus was sent to be the fullness of all things. And so I've got a little object lesson because people like this kind of stuff. And I've, by grace, decided that one of the Epa boys is going to help me with this. So let the parents pick which one is going to be the uh, sacrificial lamb this morning. But... Well, who's more outgoing? Who, who likes this stuff more? Yeah, okay. Who was trying to throw his brother under the bus? Come on up. You, you're that one. That's how you volunteer for things. Okay, everybody give, give Mr. Vans a clap. Okay, so... Thanks, man. You can pay me back later if you want. All right, so let's just imagine... You guys are all familiar with these. These are ski clothes, right? And the point of these clothes isn't just to, to do this and sit there in a crump on the floor. The point of these clothes is to get filled up on mission, right? They're meant to be filled up with a body. And then that body can go out into Manitoba for six months of the year and survive for more than 50 minutes or whatever it might be. That's the point, okay? So, and you understand this, and maybe you've even seen me in these clothes before. Now, this is the issue. The church doesn't fill up the mission of Christ all the way yet we haven't attained that full stature. So why don't you put this on for me? 
Those are, those are authentic board pants, so you should feel. They're not like ski pants. They're not a unisuit. Did anybody ever see a unisuit from the 80s? It's like one whole suit. And if you put on one pound, then it pinches in all the worst places. It's just wrong. Okay, yeah, make sure you got that extra zipper on there. You're doing good. No, you did it. You did it. I'm just praising your skills. Okay, now put this on. Okay. Well, hey, that fits not too bad, but it looks a little baggy, right? Okay. You don't have to zip it up all the way, unless your plan is to actually jump out one of the doors right now, which you're welcome to do. Um, you have my permission, at least. Okay, so does it look a little not full enough? Okay, this is what Ephesians 4 is all about. God's mission is to fill up everything with his body, the church, but we're not all the way mature yet. You're on your way. That's awesome. Just a few more trips to McDonald's, and that thing will be tight and right. So... Okay, let's get another clap for this guy, and you can decide what you want to do for that. So just drawing a few things away. The point of the church is not to sit on the ground in a clump. Our point is to be so filled up with Christ that we are his fullness in the world, filling the world with the fullness of Christ. Thank you very much. Amen? But we're not all the way mature yet. Not as individuals not as Calvary Chapel, not as the church in North America, and not as the church in the world. Do we see Jesus everywhere we look? No. That means we've got some growing to do. And this is the point of Ephesians chapter 4. Resurrected Jesus was given to the church as its living head, full of authority with everything under his feet, and as a gift to the church, which is his body, with the destiny of filling up everything. That's the goal. Who's the church? Okay. Let, let's, let's, let's just be grade five a little bit. Four, three, two, one. Who cares? When I say who's the church, you say we are. Let's do that. Okay? All the answers are right. Gold star, gold star, 100%. I know people need that encouragement. Who's the church? We are. That's right. So when we're in this building, who's the church? We are. And if we go to a new building, who's the church? We are. And if we lose all our buildings, who's the church? We are. And if there are no church buildings, who's the church? We are. Amen. And when you go home after church, who's the church? We are. Amen. Amen. When you go to bed, who's the church? We are. That's right. And if you go to a country and you're the only Christian there, who's the church? Amen. And are you alone? No. no. And when we're all dead, who's the church? Yeah, that's right. You're a little bit like, oh, is this a trick question? No. You're still the church. We, I mean, the most important death you're ever going to die, we've already died. Right? The next one, you just get to go be with Jesus face to face. I am looking forward to that so bad. It is hard to preach messages about the glory of Christ and then know that you're not going to see him face to face for the rest of the day. I want to see him so bad. Okay. Woo! Past that little spiritual gallstone. Back to work. Ah. Amen.
Okay, let's go to the, the next slide. Sometimes this is called, you'll hear me say this is Ephesians 4 ministry, E4 ministry, or the fivefold ministry. Verse 11, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, right? So this is where I'm getting from. We're not done yet. The body still needs to get built up. The body of Christ isn't fully mature until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's our destiny as part of the church is to actually fully mature in Christ until we have done the mission of, of Christ's mission of filling all things in all ways to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Into who? Into Christ. Into Him who is the head. Into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint to which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I just want to really simply this morning spend the rest of the time talking about the mission of the fivefold ministry and then talking a little bit about descriptions about each one of them. Okay, and then we'll talk about the mess of doing life together next week, maybe if I'm preaching. From what I just read, what is the mission of fivefold ministry, or what was the Holy Spirit thinking when he was saying, what does maturing into the head, what does growing up in Christ, what does attaining the full mature manhood of Jesus look like? Number one, it's that the fivefold ministries help to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who's the church? And who's responsible for the work of ministry? And so who needs to be equipped to do the job? Yeah, you guys got it right. It's like you saw we are and you then some have, but some, some just went, we do, and you got it right. Amen. See, that was the only trick that I'm going to do. And it was mostly unintentional because I'm a good guy. Just clumsy. So who's the church? And so whose job is it to do the work of ministry? Yeah. Yeah. And is that how we live? <laughs> we get that smattering. Yes, no, maybe so. Who are you looking at me? Why staring at me? Were you reading my mail? <clears throat> so this is the job of fivefold ministries is to help everybody grow up to do the work of Christ in the world. To help everybody mature. And in our culture, we like superheroes, we like offices, we like knowing whose job it is to have done everything so we can let them know that they haven't done a good job. But the point of offices, the point of, sometimes you say like capital A apostles or capital P prophets, the point of people who are set apart for certain jobs or especially equipped for certain jobs is actually to help each one of us get better at what they do. Not to go do it for us instead of us. That's a different mindset. Amen? The point of the people who get the big hits on YouTube isn't so that we can just say, I'm glad they're doing it. Their job is actually to help all of us get better at what they do. But it starts with us actually wanting to get better at what they do. 
realizing that our part is to be helping with the whole mission of Christ and to fill the world full of a mature Jesus. Amen? So this is, this is a change for all of us, and we're always going to be pushing uphill in the West against this. Our culture is, hey, I pay you to do this. That's the culture, right? And we've all grown up in school systems where most of you had to be there and you didn't want to be. But as a member of the body of Christ, the right attitude is, I can't wait to grow up into Jesus so I can be more effective in the mission of the world and I, I want all of us to grow up into Jesus so that we can all do better at being Jesus in the world. That's, that's a mature right thinking. I, I want to grow. And I want us to grow so we can all do better. Because that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> that's the point. That's the reason you're not dead. <laughs> what? If you're done, you're dead. That's how it works with Jesus. When you're done the mission, you're dead. I you know you're done, you're dead. But you're, when you're done, you're dead. That's how you know. If you're still here, you got to grow. If you're here, you grow. When you're done, you're dead. I, I, I score really low on pastoral on this one, which is where you care about people's feelings really deeply. And I do. I just have a hard time showing it. The teacher-prophet side takes over. And... Bear with me. The Bible actually says you need to do this. It's right here. I read it. Bearing with one another in love. There. The second thing, the reason fivefold ministry exists is so that we would know Jesus and that we be unified in Christ and not tossed around by human ideas. This is the description that Paul gives for the church in the world. It says... There are waves and winds of doctrine that originate in human beings, which originate in their desire to be cunning and crafty and their actual deceitful schemes. And this is over and against the truth of God. So this is our existence in the world. There's all these ideas all the time. Battering, pushing, blowing, demanding allegiance or trying to persuade you or looking great or promising you the world. It's always happening. Somebody's trying to convince you of something and it pushes and it shoves and it swamps and it blows. And if we're childlike in the faith, faith we get carried along with it. And if we're mature in Christ, we stand against it, unmoved, because you're in Jesus. An immature church gets carried along by every new idea that comes out of the world. How do you think we're doing in the West? Have we met a new idea yet that we don't like? That you can't find some famous person writing a book advocating for? We're really bad at this. We're really bad at this compared to other churches in the world. The church in China, they get it. You become a Christian, you've signed your own death warrant. They don't care what else is going on. They pray and preach and then die. We're really bad against standing against the waves and the winds of, of human thought. We're really bad at it. 
And fivefold ministry exists to help us grow up so that we get it. So that we're like, Samson, I know it's honey, but it's actually growing inside of a dead lion. So no thanks. I like my honey to not come from dead things. You know, in God's sovereignty, someone shared with me this morning, she didn't know what I was talking about, a dream she'd had. And she was saying, in the dream, we're all together at church, and some guy came up here, and he was being a little strange, but he was saying he likes them both. He likes them both. And it was like, what is he both like? And it's like, God likes both cultures. Meaning, he likes his culture, but he also likes the world's culture. And the, the message from the church was, no, no, no. He likes his culture. And, and world culture, where it, it, it needs to, it needs to repent. It needs to change. To come underneath Christ. To come underneath his obedience. To be true to Christ. And then somebody else came up and said, no, it's okay. Like when you, when, when you, when you embrace both world culture and, and Christ culture, it gives you lots of options for how to live. Right? You get to choose to do what you want when, when both of them are good. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. It's Christ. We're, we're called to grow up into Christ. And yeah, culture is a fine thing. Like I, like, I like languages. I like English language. That's a part of our culture. But, but every part of every culture needs to be called to bow the knee to Jesus. And being Christian, part of it is dying to the things that are deadly in your culture. And redeeming what can be redeemed. And, yeah, giving the thumbs up to whatever maybe grace of God was in a good culture. But, but it is Jesus' Lord first. Everything's under his feet. God, God put everything under Jesus' feet before any of us were born. Nothing's changed. Amen? So there's just this thing. The more we know Christ, the less we're tossed around. And this is what maturity looks like. And the third thing that these gifts exist for, just from this scripture here, is to help us be unified by functioning properly together. When we grow up into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it, with which it is equipped, each part, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have this mission to help the body grow by loving it in the truth. This is part of the thing. And Ephesians 4 gifts or fivefold ministry, that's what they help us do. They help us to know how to actually build up believers in love so that they're equipped to do their job and then we work together. And there's this great phrase in there that says, join together by every joint with which it's equipped. And, uh, and in there you kind of just have this sense that not everybody's connected to everybody the same way. right? There's all kinds of Christians you'll never meet, even in Steinbeck. And that's fine. We don't actually need to love everybody. We need to potentially love everybody, but we're not called to love 7 billion people. The question is who you join to. Who you, who you connected to. Who you're supposed to be blessing. Yes, Jesus. Amen. But this is the, one of the amazing things about life. You've got a few years and a few people. That's the reality. A few years and a few people. 
And every single moment is a gift from a God who says, I'm with you, know me and grow. And help people do that too. So that's just from this, this passage here. The mission of fivefold ministry. That we would personally be equipped. That we would be grounded in Christ to be able to resist the waves and the winds of the world. And that we would love being joined and help the people we're joined to so that we can build each other up in love. Because God really loves his church. I mean, we're it. There isn't another plan. The church is the plan. Sinners saved by grace, learning to love each other and work together as we reach out to the world and, and call the next wave of sinners saved by grace. As we, and we grow, we grow. This, this is the plan. There's no plan B. And so we're called to love the church. Our local church and the church of the world. Okay, so this button does nothing. Can somebody press a button that does something? I just realized that after I pressed it. There we go. That was on me. Okay, that was on me. That was like me going, how come it didn't do anything? So that wasn't anybody's fault. That was on me. Teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. And I want to address these things in reverse order because I think the apostles are kind of the most difficult ones to talk about, and I don't want to lose people right off the bat. <laughs> All right, I don't want everyone to be an apostle. Um, so let's end with the, the, the hardest one to describe. Teachers. The teaching gift are individuals who are kind of bent towards or preoccupied with finding out how to use God's words for life. Finding out, learning, and sharing God's written word for the life of the church. That's the bent. And to help everybody in the church learn to love God's word and trust God's word and obey God's word so that they can find life in Christ. That's a teaching gift functioning well. They help make hard ideas easier to understand. They help make crazy ideas like being the body of Jesus something you can practically walk out. And this is their passion. They just can't not do it. Um, One of the ways I, I realized that I had a bit of a teaching bent is on our honeymoon... We, we got married in Manitoba. We were going to live in Vernon. We went to Vancouver and Vancouver Island for our honeymoon all these years ago. I was like, "Hun, we need to go to the Regent College Library. We just need to, or the bookstore. We need to go there. That has to be somewhere we stop. Okay, so right off the bat. And when it was there, I, I bought this uh, commentary from an author I was really enjoying. And a commentary on First and Second Timothy and Titus. And I read the whole thing even the footnotes. And I was just like, you can read the Bible like this? You can learn Greek? You can figure this stuff out? You can put all the pieces together? You can, you can, you can actually like grab a verse and then talk about the verses that came before it and the ones after it, and you can put them all together and help it make sense? You can do this? This is amazing. Okay, there's a sign right there that there is something abnormal growing in me. For the church, and it hasn't always been the biggest blessing, that bent. Um, 
and I'm going to hold off. Next time I want to talk about doing life together and how these bents go bad and how they're annoying and how we have to learn to love each other, how they get ugly and how it's trouble. So next week is the Jerry Springer version of this. Sorry, that's just too old, but um, the UFC version of this message. So it's going to be nasty. Um, You'll love it. But that's kind of the bent. And so if this is you, where you just are like, oh, I get so much out of the word and I wish other people knew more about the Bible because there's so much life in here, that's like a teacher bent. And if you're hyper attenuated towards that, you're meant to be a gift to the church so that all of us can grow up into Christ. Uh, The pastor's bent, their emphasis, what they're sensitive to, what they feel, is they feel for God's people for their good. They're really attenuated to the actual life of Christians. They care about what's really going on in someone's life. Not like a teacher, where they're just like, so you're reading your Bible? Okay, good. Oh, right, right. And how's your life? Are you married? Right, yes, I knew that. I was there. You know, I'm I'm teasing a little bit. Okay, stop it. Um, They're really attenuated to how individuals are doing, how they're feeling, what they're struggling with, what's holding them back, how's their walk with Christ. And they're really attenuated to people. And when it's functioning very healthily, they want to know that people are doing well in the Lord. They want to help them to better in the Lord as actual thinking, feeling beings. Amen? So if that's you, you walk into a room and you're really sensitive. How's this person? And then you look at their face and just like they blinked slowly. So you're like, oh, they're struggling. They're struggling. I've seen that. Plus they're wearing purple. So I, I got to come. Oh, my, hey, girlfriend, how you? Ooh, and the tears. And I don't often call people girlfriend, but I would if it would build up the body of Christ. That's a people orientation. God's, you're, you're, you're attenuated to God's people for their good in the Lord. Um, evangelists, the evangelistic gift is sensitive to and burdened by God's world for their salvation. Does that make sense? You can't stop thinking about people who don't know the Lord. You can't stop thinking about that 720 window or whatever it is, or people groups with less than 10% evangelical presence or no self-multiplying christian presence in these places you you just you can't stop think there are people who don't know jesus and we want them to get saved anybody in the room like that just can't can't put it down okay that's an evangelistic bent an evangelistic gift and the trick there is to remember that that is meant to be a gift for the church to build it up in love I'll just, I'll just get one little snippet from next week. And the struggle is they're so attenuated often to people who are outside the church that they can feel frustrated by the church because the church isn't also caring about this. And they're often so much on the like first-line responders thing that they can feel separated. And so the challenge of a church is to stay really connected. So if you're someone with a pastoral bent and you know people with an evangelistic bent, go after them, please. They need you. And you need them. Because we need them. And we need each other. Right? Okay, I'll repeat myself next week, but that's all I'm going to do. Man, I'm having struggle with self-control. Can you guys pray for me? Prophets. Prophets are bent towards and concerned about hearing God's perspective in 
in order to produce courage. This is, now, this is my take, and you might have other takes, but I think this is a helpful way to think it. Prophetic people want to know what God thinks about this specific situation so that we can have courage and do what he wants. That's, that's a good way to summarize it. Because we can all get together and fight and argue about things, but there are a bunch of people who are like, I don't care, I don't care what you guys think. I just don't know what God thinks so that we can be brave and obey. Amen? And sometimes the prophetic can come off as a bit harsh because there is that sense where it's like, it's all just opinions until God speaks. <laughs> I knew it. I looked over there and then I got, I got the Amen. But, it, but that is true. In one sense, it is all just opinions until God has spoken, and then we need to have courage to obey him. But the prophetic gift is there to call the entire church to go, God's talked, we need to have courage and obey. That's what it's there to do, and it's there for direction and help. Sometimes you just don't know what to do, and then somebody will come along and they'll say, I had a dream, or I had this thing, or I just had this thought. Or sometimes they just start rambling because of a poor level of verbal self-control, and they say something that you needed to hear. Amen? Now, remember, this is for the church, and this is so all of us can grow up into Christ. And then there's the apostolic gift or apostles. And people, we struggle about this one because of how we try to talk about um, the nature of Scripture in the New Testament. That it's inspired by God and delivered by the apostles. Right? And so there's this sense where the word apostle means writing the infallible word of God. That sense, And that's the biggest stumbling point for this. And so I just want to ramble a little bit Apostle means someone who's sent. Someone who's sent. And so I, and in sense, I, the one aspect I'm pulling is they're sent in order to produce God's order for growth. And this is what Jesus did. God sent Jesus and he didn't just die on the cross. He actually instituted the 12 apostles so that when he went back home, the church would have leadership who knew him and understood him and would have authority to bless the church with their leadership. And that's what the apostles did. When the early church was formed, Peter was the first preacher that caused um, the church to kind of be birthed after Pentecost, but they solved the church's problem. And one of the earliest ones in Acts is, you know, a fight over how the widows were getting fed, right? And, and they just said, well, it's not our job to wait tables, but what we're going to do is we're going to decide how we're going to fix this. So you guys, you, your job is to provide a bunch of people with godly character and who are full of the Spirit, and we'll lay hands on them and they'll do this job. And they had the authority to bring order for the growth of the church. And after the church dealt with that issue, they had growth. And, and part of the thing, I just want to say to this whole apostle thing, most of the 12 apostles never wrote scripture, right? And even the scriptures we have, some of the books aren't written by apostles, like Luke, who probably wrote the most New Testament, um, up there with John. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12. And so I'm just, I want to pull back on this apostles means writing, writing scripture because um, it doesn't fit all the data. I want to uphold the authority of scripture. I think it's an utterly unique book in the world. But if we look at the data, you can't just say that the apostolic gift means writing God-level scripture because that's not just what happened. But I think the apostolic gift is somebody who's given to the church in order to help bring order for growth. And that can be doctrinal order. 
Okay, so First um, Timothy and Titus were both written by Paul, where he says, I want you to stay there until you've established elders who will fight against bad doctrine in the church. That was the apostolic gift functioning, where the Apostle Paul sent somebody else who wasn't technically one of the apostles to build up order by giving elders to the church so that they would resist the disorder of false doctrine in the church. Does that make any sense? So for us, not having been witnesses to the resurrection apostles, for us it is God sends people to churches or grows up people in churches who know how to make the church function more efficiently and more peacefully so that we can grow instead of spending all of our time fighting with each other because nothing gets done. Does that make sense? The apostolic gift is somebody who says, if you solve that problem, you guys would actually start enjoying church instead of fighting with each other and not being able to do outreach and not being able to grow through teaching and not being able to take care of each other and not being able to together listen to God's word because you're disordered and fractured and infighting. And the apostolic gift arises to say, you need to stop doing that. You need to start doing that. You need to deal with that issue. And then you should set up these systems and maybe you should do this different with your offerings and do worship a little bit different here. And why don't you tweak your children's ministry? And then if you reset your your youth ministry like this, you'll have better results and everyone will be happier and then you can grow and do outreach instead of still being 250 people. After being here for seven years, you can actually have done church plants and grown a bunch and blah, 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 blah. Order for growth. Does that make sense? And other stuff. And these aren't like sealed boxes. We're all supposed to be helping each other mature in all of these ways so that we can be Jesus in the world, to the world, to each other, and to the lost. Does that make sense? Okay? Now here's my pitch for thinking about the fivefold ministry. This could feel like you're just running another one of those personality tests online. If you were a Disney character, you would be Elsa, teacher type, just wants to build a castle on a hill and have everyone leave her alone. Teacher type, except for the books, didn't have enough books, but teacher type. You could be Anna, pastoral type. My sister's hurting. I need to climb mountains to go and help her feel better. Pastoral type. Okay, this isn't just a personality type. This is literally how Jesus wants to grow his church. This is his plan. And if we learn to work with his plan, he's going to bless us. Amen? So this is why we want this. Okay. What's the homework? I want to invite you to begin to think about where your bents might be in this list of five. Do I lean towards teacher type? Do I lean towards pastoral type? Do I lean towards evangelistic type? Do I lean towards prophetic type? Do I lean towards apostolic type? And then maybe have a secondary one that you think you're interested in as well. And then ask somebody really close to you because you're probably wrong and other people know you better than you know yourself. So ask the other pe- someone close to you. If you're married to them, that would be helpful. If you're in a community group, that's another way that you could do it. 
Um, sometimes we think we're a gift because we think that's the best gift and we want to be that gift and it turns out we're not that gift and it's always better to get good feedback about who you really are without worrying about your pride than to be protecting your own self-esteem by having a misunderstanding of how God wants to use to build up order by giving elders to the church so that they would resist the disorder of false doctrine in the church. Does that make any sense? So for us, not having been witnesses to the resurrection apostles, for us it is God sends people to churches or grows up people in churches who know how to make the church function more efficiently and more peacefully so that we can grow instead of spending all of our time fighting with each other because nothing gets done. Does that make sense? The apostolic gift is somebody who says, if you solve that problem, you guys would actually start enjoying church instead of fighting with each other and not being able to do outreach and not being able to grow through teaching and not being able to take care of each other and not being able to together listen to God's word because you're disordered and fractured and infighting. And the apostolic gift arises to say, you need to stop doing that. You need to start doing that. You need to deal with that issue. And then you should set up these systems and maybe you should do this different with your offerings and do worship a little bit different here. And why don't you just tweak your children's ministry? And then if you reset your your youth ministry like this, you'll have better results and everyone will be happier and then you can grow and do outreach instead of still being 250 people. After being here for seven years, you can actually have done church plants and grown a bunch and blah, 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 blah. Order for growth. Does that make sense? And other stuff. And these aren't like sealed boxes. We're all supposed to be helping each other mature in all of these ways so that we can be Jesus in the world, to the world, to each other, and to the lost. Does that make sense? Okay? Now here's my pitch for thinking about the fivefold ministry. This could feel like you're just running another one of those personality tests online. If you were a Disney character, you would be Elsa, teacher type, just wants to build a castle on a hill and have everyone leave her alone. Teacher type, except for the books, didn't have enough books, but teacher type. You could be Anna, pastoral type. My sister's hurting. I need to climb mountains to go and help her feel better. Pastoral type. Okay, this isn't just a personality type. This is literally how Jesus wants to grow his church. This is his plan. And if we learn to work with his plan, he's going to bless us. Amen? So this is why I want this. Okay. What's the homework? I want to invite you to begin to think about where your bents might be in this list of five. Do I lean towards teacher type? Do I lean towards pastoral type? Do I lean towards evangelistic type? Do I lean towards prophetic type? Do I lean towards apostolic type? And then maybe have a secondary one that you think you're interested in as well. And then ask somebody really close to you because you're probably wrong and other people know you better than you know yourself. So ask the other pe- someone close to you. If you're married to them, that would be helpful. If you're in a community group, that's another way that you could do it. 
Um, sometimes we think we're a gift because we think that's the best gift and we want to be that gift and it turns out we're not that gift and it's always better to get good feedback about who you really are 